everyone. Welcome to Crime Cults and Coffee. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Bryn. And I wanted to start off today's episode by talking about my recommendations because I actually have some new ones. Ooh, and you have to tell about your trip. Yes. So as far as recommendations go, I'm not reading any books right now because I'm slacking, but I did just start the new season of Ginny and Georgia. Same. Did you? How many episodes did you watch? I'm about five or six in, I think. I'm probably about the same. Maybe like three or four, actually. Okay. So good. It's really, really fucking good. Yeah. Trigger warning to the first couple of episodes, though. They're really rough. Yeah. I feel like this season is pretty heavy, but it's also touching upon real life issues. So (laughs) things that need to be talked about. Yeah. It's such a good show. The acting is incredible. I know. I agree. I'm obsessed with it. And I've also watched, so that's my, like, my show that I watch. And then me and Carson have to have a show because he gets mad when I watch things without him. <laughs> so we're watching Peripheral on Amazon Prime. Have you heard of it? No, I haven't. It's like, I don't know. I don't think it's new at all. We just, like, we're looking at random things and it came up as a suggestion. But there's a few seasons of it, I think. I'm on the first season and it's basically about this family they're 10 years or 20 years into the future from where we are now wait I have heard of this this has Chloe Grace Moretz right yes yeah okay yeah and then their job they get paid money on the side to test out like new video games virtual reality things sims so they get paid to do this one and it's basically a gateway or like an opening to the future and it brings them into 70 years in the future. Wow, that sounds so good. I'm gonna have to start that. Yeah, it's really good. I'm hooked and we it's like longer episodes. So it'll take a while to get through. So you guys have to check it out. It's called peripheral. Cool. Okay. Definitely gonna do that. Yeah. Do you have any recommendations or anything new? Uh, recommendation wise, I would have to say Ginny and Georgia as well. But aside from that, I've been watching Celebrity Jeopardy. (laughs) What? (laughs) Because apparently actual Jeopardy is no longer on Netflix. And yeah, I don't know. I went to look for it the other day and it's gone. So I found Celebrity Jeopardy on Hulu and I've been watching that (laughs) because I'm back in my trivia kick with Kate and Ashley. We used to do trivia night every week Mm -hmm. and we started that up again and we really sucked last week. (laughs) So I am pouring over Jeopardy questions. That's really funny. Yeah, but I love Jeopardy aside from that. So that's my recommendation. Good. Okay. Yeah. And I haven't started any of my new books yet. So nothing there yet. Yeah. Well, I have to catch up on books too. So we'll get there. Yeah. So tell about your trip. So we went to Woodstock, New York this past weekend with Carson and then our two friends, Becky and Leah. And it was so much fun. We stayed at the cutest place. I'll put in our Facebook notes like where we stayed, but it was called the Herwood Inn. And it's right like on the main street in Woodstock. And it was this cute little hotel, but a boutique hotel. If you've ever been to upstate New York, you know what those are like. It was just so cute. It had like a hot tub. It had a little fireplace outside. And then just like the room itself was so cute adorable yeah and in Woodstock the main reason we've gone there uh, last year the main reason you go is like for shopping and they have like really good food and stuff like that so we went shopping all day on Saturday and got dinner and then mainly because I've been so tired recently we went and played games back in our room both nights until like 1 a.m. oh that's fun yeah so it was a really fun trip good I'm glad you had fun Yeah. And actually, that's where I got my coffee for this week that we'll talk about in a minute. But I did want to mention really quick, one of our listeners reached out to me. And I have to talk about it. She gave me permission, because I was cracking up laughing. So this is from Alyssa. And Alyssa, if you guys don't know, is like one of the listeners that recommends a lot of our cases. But she texted me last week, 
and said that she listened to the Krampus episode. And I'm just going to read what she said. Okay. So she said, my cousin and his wife, instead of doing Elf on the Shelf, do Krampus on the Shelf. (laughs) And it's the same premise as Elf on the Shelf, except it's Krampus. Krampus will come to beat you up. If you're bad, so their little girl, she's like three at the time. She's five now. She took him off the shelf one day and proceeded to beat the doll and said, what are you going to do about it to the doll? (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) So she's clearly not afraid of Krampus. Right. She said she's German, too. And like, that's one of their traditions. And I was like, that's hysterical. She said her grandfather used to like scare her with Krampus stories when she was younger. Oh, that is so cute. Yeah. How (laughs) funny is that, though? Oh, my gosh. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that, Alyssa. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. We've been getting some good feedback on the Krampus and Grilla episode. I'm loving it. Yeah, agreed. My sister said she was like, she spit her coffee or something water out when I said what did I even say? Like, I fucked up a word really bad. You said Krampus snatch? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She's like, I spit out my coffee. I was like, I forgot I said that. (laughs) Yeah, mom was saying that it was one of her favorite episodes. Oh, fun. Yeah. Good. So shall we get into our coffee? Yeah. So I can talk about mine. We went for breakfast at a, well, we didn't really eat anything there, but I got coffee at this place called Overlook Bakery, and it's right on Tinker Street, which is like the main street in Woodstock. Mm Mm-hmm. And the bakery stuff looked so good, but I wasn't hungry, so I didn't get anything there. So I just grabbed a cup of coffee, and I bought the bag as well. So the coffee is from Heavy Feather Coffee Roasters, and they're located in Mount Tremper, New York. So that's where they roast the beans out of for the coffee place or bakery that I went to. So you can check out their website. as heavyfeathercoffee.com. And the specific one I'm going to be reviewing today is the Red Tail Blend. And it has notes of brown sugar, golden raisin, and cacao. Ooh, that sounds yummy. Yeah. There was one that had, like, citrusy and berry notes. And I was like, nope. Not doing (laughs) that one. (laughs) Absolutely not. Automatic four rating. Right? All right. I have not tried this yet, so I'm going to take a sip. Okay. While you're taking your sip, I forgot to mention, I wanted to give a little shout out. Hopefully some of them are listening. Shout out to people listening from the Ford dealership where I got my car. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot to say that too. Oh my God. Tell them what that means. (laughs) So they're very, very nice, lovely people. I had great conversation with them. So I had to get a new car and I ended up getting one from Ford. And while I was there, the podcast came up in conversation because true crime came up somehow. And basically, by the time I left the dealership, there were a bunch of people (laughs) subscribing to the podcast. So (laughs) shout out to the people from Ford if you're listening. And I love my car. So thank you. Yeah, I actually drove by your car because it was parked at mom and dad's this weekend. I'm sad I didn't come in to say hi to you, but I know um, that I didn't get to see you. I know, but I saw it and I was like, damn, it looks so good. I want to look inside. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, We'll have to take a ride around in it. Yeah. So the coffee, it's really, really, really good. It tastes, they must have given me that one in the store because it tastes very similar. At first it's like super tangy. I think it's from the raisin. And then it gets very sweet from the cacao and brown sugar. It's a really good coffee. I could drink, I can honestly drink this every day. It's not too bitter and it's not too mild. I would probably rate it like an 8.5. Okay, that's fair. I'd like to try that. Yeah, I have a whole bag of it. So you are welcome. Awesome. I'll take a little, just like a K cup full, if you don't mind. Yes. (laughs) And as I'm doing this recording, my dog is literally snuggled up to my face, just laying right there. Aww, cute little Bispy. Little Bix. 
So I am not reviewing a coffee today. I am going to be giving a coffee recipe as Kelsey did, I think, one or two episodes ago now. Mm -hmm. So the coffee recipe that I'm giving is a coconut cold brew coffee. Oh, shit. Yeah. And basically they were like, if you love coconut coffee drinks, you're going to be obsessed with this. I'll start with the ingredients and then I'll go into like a brief synopsis of the steps to make it. But I know with this coffee, there is an overnight wait with it because you have to kind of brew the concentrate first and let that sit overnight. So first you there's a cold brew concentrate and that consists of ground coffee and two cups of cold water. Then you make a coconut syrup and that includes shredded coconut, granulated sugar, vanilla extract, and water. And then you make the iced coconut cold brew. It's the cold brew concentrate, the coconut syrup, milk or a milk substitute, cold water, ice, and then a whipped cream or a cold foam is optional. So it says to make the cold brew concentrate, you add the the ground coffee and it's saying to use a French press but I'm sure you can use something else for this yeah and then you're leaving it overnight and then after 12 to 16 hours you're filtering the cold brew concentrate from the grounds and then you're pouring it into a jar and you're making the coconut simple syrup you're adding the coconut the sugar vanilla water you're bringing it to a boil And then once the coconut syrup has reduced, you're straining it and discarding the actual coconut pieces. And then it says you could use it right away or store it in a jar in the fridge until you actually need it. So basically the only thing that needs to sit overnight is the coffee concentrate you're making. Okay. And then it says to pour it over ice, add the coconut syrup, water, milk or milk substitute, stir it, and then add your milk or cold foam Or your whipped cream or cold foam, I'm sorry. And it says you can even sprinkle some shredded coconut on top if you'd like. Oh, that sounds really good. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And anyone who makes this is going to have to let us know. And I'm definitely going to make this and see how it comes out. But they also have a vegan coconut cold brew option. Like they have instructions for that as well for anyone who's vegan. This is all on creatorsofcoffee.com, and I will make sure to link this on our Facebook page. So make it one of your New Year's resolutions to take time and have a nice, relaxing morning making a coconut cold brew. (laughs) Yeah, the picture looks delicious. It sounds delicious. And I like how they give different options for our vegan or lactose intolerant friends. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. Awesome. And without further ado, should we get into it? Let's do it. Okay, so grab your coffee and have a morning with us. So today's case was suggested by Kate's mom. And we've spoken about Kate on this podcast. She's one of our friends. (laughs) Thanks, Kate's mom. Yeah. Today we're covering the case of Jennifer Dulos and a little bit of background about Jennifer Jennifer Dulos, her maiden name is Farber. She was born September 27th, 1968, and she was born in New York City. She was 50 years old at the time of this story. Her parents were Gloria Ortenberg and Hilliard Farber. She had an older sister named Melissa Irene Farber. And her maternal aunt and uncle were Elizabeth Claiborne and Arthur Ortenberg. And they founded Liz Claiborne, Inc., the fashion company. That is such a cool fact. That is a cool fact. And what's even cooler is literally earlier today, as I was going through clothing for the company that I work for, I picked up a Liz Claiborne shirt and I went over and told my mother-in-law because I was like, this is such a weird fact. We're recording an episode today and this woman's aunt founded the company. So weird. And I was like, I have to put this fact in here. That's so cool. In 1990, she graduated from Brown University, which is incredible. Wait, I have a question. Did you keep the shirt? (laughs) No, I didn't. (laughs) I'm not part of Liz Claiborne, which makes it even funnier. Oh, okay. Okay. Because I work with clothing a lot. And that's one of the 
brands that I dislike, although that has nothing to do with Jennifer. (laughs) Of course. Yes. So then after graduating from Brown University, she earned her master's in writing from NYU Tisch School of the Arts. As if graduating from Brown wasn't enough. Yeah, she obviously was extremely intelligent. Mm -hmm. She was also a stay-at-home mom and also a writer for Patch.com, and she ran a blog. Wow, so she was a busy lady. She was, and a stay-at-home mom, I feel like, is two full-time jobs in itself. Yeah, especially with how when you hear how many children she had. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to talk about Jennifer's relationship with a man named Fotis Dulos. I'm going to talk about him first. He was born August 6th, 1967 in Turkey. And he grew up in Athens, Greece, but then he moved to the United States in 1986. In 1989, he also graduated from Brown University and then later got an MBA in finance at Columbia Business School. So they had lots in common. They both went to really good schools. Yeah. He had a wife at that time that he was married to for only four years named Hillary Vanessa Aldama. And this was from the years of 2000 to 2004. In July 2004, when the divorce was finalized, he founded Four Group Incorporated, which was a real estate development company. This company specialized in luxury homes in Connecticut. While Dulos was still married to his first wife, he had already began speaking to Jennifer via email. He also had known Jennifer from Brown, because remember, that's where they both went to school. Jennifer and Dulos married soon after the first divorce on August 28th, 2004. So they literally wasted no time. A little over a month after yeah. the divorce was finalized. They got married in Manhattan and then moved to Farmington, Connecticut together. During their marriage, they had five children two sets of twins so four total kids were twins that's a lot of kids and like what are the chances you have two sets of twins wow yeah so her being a full-time mom how did she do anything more than that right and then she did the blog and and wrote for that website patch.com yeah that is crazy wow she was motivated yeah their children's names were Petros, Theodore, Constantine, Christiane, and Cleopatra Noel. And they were all named after Greek Orthodox saints, which those are really cool names. Those are cool names. I like them. Things were obviously good for a while there, and they had their kids, but there was a decline of their marriage. March 12, 2012, Jennifer wrote in a blog post, quote, I wish I were a strong person, and that confrontation did not both scare and appall me. Same, Jennifer. June 20th, 2017, she filed for a divorce at the Superior Court in Stamford. Also in June, Jennifer moved out of her home and began renting a house in New Canaan, and that's also in Connecticut. She took her five children with her. And this is a statement that Jennifer had written in divorce documents. Quote, I know that filing for divorce and filing this motion will enrage him. I know he will retaliate by trying to harm me in some way. That's terrifying. And you know, she knows her significant other, you know, enough to say that. Right. Those words I feel would not be said lightly. Right. Other statements made by Jennifer in documents include... That Fotis exhibited, quote, irrational, unsafe, bullying, threatening, and controlling behavior. And this is another quote, quote, I am afraid for my safety and the physical safety and emotional well-being of our minor children. Oh, no. So not only was she feeling like her safety was at risk, she was feeling like the physical and emotional safety of her children were at risk. That's horrifying. Yeah. Jennifer also claimed that he was having an affair with his colleague, Michelle Traconis. She also alleged that Dulos threatened to take their children. He allegedly, and we're going to say allegedly because 
this was according to Jennifer, but at the same respect, we'll get into it later, where this could have been fact. He allegedly said he would do this if she didn't agree to his terms of the divorce settlement. He also allegedly told her he bought a gun. And he denied these claims and said he bought a gun for home security only. Convenient. Yeah, so who knows whether or what the purpose was for him buying the gun, but that was his reasoning. Right. They both went back and forth with filing motions against each other and basically claiming things about each other or saying that the other person was falsifying information about them. So it just went back and forth. Yeah, just like a very messy, messy divorce and there's Mm -hmm. children involved and it's just really sad. So during all of this back and forth, Jennifer had filed for an emergency order of custody for her children and the court granted temporary joint custody of the children until the divorce proceedings were over. So they had to, you know, go through court and everything first. One can assume from what we've read so far why she filed for emergency order of custody because she was feeling like her children were at risk. Right. But I wonder how the court I wonder how the proceedings went that they determined, oh, no, I feel like joint custody is fine. Right. And it could have been a timing thing, too. Like, if they're like, it's in a couple of weeks, you know, we'll do a better decision then. Early 2018, Jennifer filed for an emergency order of custody again. And during this process, it was discovered that Fotis Dulos had broken a multitude of court orders. So not looking good. No, not at all. So then in March of 2018, Jennifer was granted sole physical custody of the children. Both parents were granted joint legal custody and Dulos could have supervised visits and monitored phone calls. So basically both had parental rights to the children, but she physically had them. Yeah, she and then he could visit them and call them mm-hmm. monitored. In February of 2018, after Jennifer's father died, her mother, Gloria, sued Dulos for $1.7 million. Mm. So this is Dulos's mother-in-law suing him. And she said that that's how much Dulos's father-in-law or Jennifer's dad loaned him over the years. So that's what she was to be owed. Wow, that's a lot of money. Yeah. I'm like, what the hell was that for? Yeah. Dulos had never paid the loaned money back. I would never feel comfortable borrowing that amount of money from someone, let alone not paying them back. I just want to know, yeah, like, what was, was it for the kids? Was it, like, what was that, you know? Or some kind of investment or something, or something for his business. A business loan, yeah. Yeah. Huh. So, unfortunately, moving on to Jennifer's disappearance, on May 24th, 2019, Jennifer was last seen dropping off her kids at New Canaan Country School. This was around 8 a.m. And then at 8.05 a.m., she was seen on a neighbor's security camera going home. She then missed two doctor's appointments at 11 a.m. and 1 p.m. in New York City. And then around 7 p.m., two friends reported her missing. They were like, something is up. Yeah. And the the security footage of her is if I read it correctly, is pretty much right in front of her driveway. Yeah. Like, you could see her car pulling into her driveway, basically. She made it home. Yeah. One of the two friends that had reported her missing was her her nanny, actually, named Lauren Emilda. And they hadn't been able to get in touch with her, and they were obviously extremely concerned. She's, like, not that type of person. That's so scary. Yeah. Yeah. The nanny Lauren said it was strange to her that when she arrived at the house at 11.30 a.m., Jennifer's Range Rover was still in the garage because apparently Jennifer had planned on taking it to the doctor's appointments in New York City. And instead of the Range Rover being gone, the Chevy Suburban was missing. So that alone just set up red flags to Lauren and like I'm wondering what the conversation was that the nanny knew that like oh go in this garage because I'm taking this car or I don't know you know she had to have had a specific conversation for the nanny to remember that 
Right. Who knows? She might have even been like, I'm taking the Range Rover. You can use the Chevy. Right. You know, and then she got there and maybe didn't. And she's like, wait, like, I'm not supposed to use this car kind of thing. Who knows? Right. But either way, an investigation started because Jennifer was missing and everyone was really, really concerned. So moving on to the investigation, detectives searched Jennifer's house looking for clues as to where she could have gone. However, they found alarming information while in the home. Blood spatter was found on the floor, the door, and a wall in Jennifer's garage. There was also blood on the exterior of the Range Rover and in the kitchen. Most of the blood was found to be Jennifer's through DNA testing. Wow. Blood on the kitchen faucet was found to be a mixture of Jennifer and Dulos's blood. Oh, God. There was other evidence that showed that Jennifer had been assaulted and badly injured or worse. Pretty much they said with her injuries, if she didn't have immediate medical attention, she would have to be dead. Oh, God. And to their knowledge, obviously, she, she hadn't been brought anywhere to get medical attention. Wow. There was no activity on her cell or credit cards since May 24th, 2019, which is the day she disappeared. A neighbor's security camera had caught the Chevrolet Suburban leaving Jennifer's house. This had been around 10.25 a.m. So this neighbor came in clutch with the video footage. And I don't know if it was the same neighbor, but her neighbors came in clutch with video footage of her pulling in and then like this car leaving. Yeah, and I feel like it was a wealthier part of town too. So it was probably pretty common to have security cameras outside. I just, it's so crazy to me that all of this happened and the nanny was literally there at 11.30 a.m., like an hour later. Yeah, it was very quick. That is so, and I wouldn't want have wanted her to be there, but like that's so sad that she had just missed them. Unless it was known what time she'd be arriving, you know? Yeah. Police had believed that Dulos was the one driving the car, the Suburban that pulled out at 10.25, And they also believe that Jennifer, as well as cleanup items, could have been in the car. The Suburban was later found on the side of the road a little over three miles from her home. And it was found on Lapham Road near Waverney Park in New Canaan. Around 7.30 p.m. on the night of May 24th, which again was the night that Jennifer went missing... Dulos and Draconis were caught on video leaving garbage bags in 30 bins in Hartford. What the fuck? Which, what necessary reasoning would there be for that? What the fuck? Draconis, again, was the woman that Jennifer had claimed that Dulos was having an affair with. Her name was Michelle. So just keep that in mind. Those two were caught on video leaving the garbage bags. So clearly her suspicion was correct. Yeah. The bags had bloody clothing and blood-stained cleaning items. Some items included sponges, ponchos, and zip ties. The blood on these items was found to be from Jennifer. <sighs> DNA from Dulos was also found in the bags. And there was a glove inside one of the bags and his DNA was on the glove. I mean, come on. It was also found on a trash bag. There was also mention of Jennifer's DNA being found in a Toyota Tacoma truck owned by one of Votus Dulos employees. Traffic cameras showed the pickup traveling to and from New Canaan the day of Jennifer's disappearance. This was the truck they were in while disposing of the garbage bags. Police believe Dulos used the truck without permission on the day she went missing. Wow. Yeah, I think it didn't blatantly say it in articles, but I think the person who had the truck probably said, like, I never gave him permission to use this. Right. Because it was repeated over and over in different ways that police believed he used it without permission or he used it without permission. Right. Through their investigation, police believed the following. 
Dulos went to Jennifer's house on a bike and waited for her to get home. There were tire marks and other evidence found to determine this. A bicycle tire was also spotted in the bed of a pickup truck on the video footage. They believe Jennifer was then murdered in her garage. They then think that she was taken to Waveney Park in her suburban and moved into the Tacoma. Five days later, there was also video footage of Dulos going to a local car wash slash detail shop in the Tacoma. Like, it doesn't get any more red flag than this. Right. Was he not aware that there was CCTV everywhere? Like, I just... Pretty much. Right. Like, what were you... What are you thinking? Yeah. I mean, I'm glad he wasn't thinking. He's an, an idiot. Same. Because he was basically leaving breadcrumbs everywhere... Yeah. With the truck, the bicycle tracks, the, like, everything. Crazy. So when he went to take the car to the car wash, that was another day that he took the truck without permission. So, again, the person must have been like, you know, I this is the second time I didn't give him permission. Imagine, though, like, this person had no idea he took his truck, right, this person could have been framed for her murder. If, if camera footage wasn't a thing. Yeah, if her blood was found, and if her blood was found in this person's truck, and there was nothing linking Dulos to right. do anything. You know what I mean? And this person was completely unaware of him taking their truck, using their truck, and then five days later taking it again to clean it. That's insane. I would have sued him. That's insane. Traconis was also seen driving in an SUV behind him. Yeah, and there was video footage of basically him at this detail shop. And him, so they know it was him driving that truck to the car wash and detail shop. Mm -hmm. He's inside and then he leaves and she picked, he like left the truck and she picked him up and drove him. So it was for a fact, him and her. It's just like mind blowing. Like how, how do you not think that these things, these dots are not going to be connected? Yeah. So searches took place to look for Jennifer. Police looked on properties in and around Farmington, which is where Dulos lived. And we're going to continue calling him Dulos because... We'll call Jennifer Jennifer and him Dulos just to differentiate between the two. Yeah, they looked on properties in and around Farmington and near both Jennifer and Dulos's homes. Helicopters were used. Divers and canine units were brought to search. They searched for weeks at a garbage processing plant. Wow. And they also searched a water skiing pond in Avon where the Dulos family went often. Wow. A 3,000-acre park and reservoir in West Hartford was also searched. That's so much area being searched. Yeah, they were just looking everywhere for her. Wow. And basically anything that could be connected to him, they searched. So moving on to some arrests... June 1st, 2019, which is fittingly Kate's birthday, and Kate's mom recommended this. What? She was not born in 2019, but... <laughs> Kate's five years old. <laughs> yeah. I can't do math. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> well, almost four years old. Three yeah. and a half. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> so... June 1st, 2019, Dulos and Traconis were arrested and charged with tampering with evidence and hindering prosecution. They both pled not guilty. Of course. Temporary custody of the kids went to Jennifer's mom and they moved to New York City to live with her. So at least they were in a safe space. Yeah. September 2019... They were both arrested again, meaning Dulos and Traconis. They were both arrested again for tampering with evidence. And again, they both pled not guilty. Which, what was their defense? Right. You, I mean, Jesus, every dot connected. 
And at the very least, like, let's say, let's say they didn't commit this crime somehow, right? At the very least, yes, you tampered with evidence. Right. And yes, you hindered prosecution because you disposed of garbage bags in 30 different places. With her and her, Yeah, and her suburban. Right. I would like to know what they're... They, and they stole argued. the car. <laughs> yeah, exactly. January 7th, 2020, Fotis Dulos was arrested by the Connecticut State Police. He was charged with murder, capital murder, and kidnapping. Those charges finally came his way. Traconis was arrested and charged with conspiracy to commit murder. Kent Douglas Mawinney, which was Dulos's friend and former attorney was also charged with conspiracy to commit murder. Did you just sneeze? No. Oh, I heard a weird noise. That was weird. He was taken into custody at gunpoint. And a little bit about Mawinney, at some point, his estranged wife accused him of spousal rape and told police that she thought he and Dulos were trying to kill her. Just bad people. August 2019... One article stated that authorities found something really strange with a scent dog on a secluded property of Mawinney's. There was a shallow grave filled with two bags of lime and a blue tarp. Wow. Yeah. Wow. No body was found and reports suggest those items may have been missing upon police discovery. And we'll kind of get into how that's, like, potentially possible in in two seconds because this whole thing is crazy. And the way it was written out in reports was kind of all over the place or kind of contradicting. So it was hard to fully piece together. You know what I mean? Crazy. But that could also be because of maybe withheld information from the public in a way. I don't know. Another article stated, and this is all a quote from CT Insider, quote, in his arrest warrant, police said Mawinney was also associated with an East Granby gun club where hunters found what they described to be a, quote, human grave in the days leading up to Jennifer Dulos's disappearance. However, state police say they later searched and dug up the area and found no evidence Jennifer Dulos was ever there. Assuming these articles were talking about the same situation where hunters discovered it and by the time they reported it slash police checking it out, a potential body or the items spotted were gone. So they were like tipped off. Right. Or they were like, okay, they're going to search this area. We need to move this shit. Right. January 8th, 2020, Dulos' bond was set at $6 He was released the next day. Traconis was also out on bail. February 28th, 2020, Dulos was set to return to court. And August 6th, 2020, was Traconis' set court date. October 19th, 2020, Mawini was released on $246,000 bond. All right, so on to some more details from after Jennifer's disappearance. Late October 2019, Traconis and her daughter moved out of Dulos's home in F- Farmington, where they were living at the time with him. And then January 19th, 2021, Connecticut State Police went to a property on Mountain Spring Road in Farmington. At one time, this property was owned by the real estate company that Dulos had. Because remember, he owned that luxury home real estate firm. So also sketch that yeah. something led them there. Yeah. Right, like what were they checking up on in 2021? Yeah. The police were there to, quote, follow up on old leads. Hmm. Mm. Digging was done on the property. And Bob Perry, who is a, quote, renowned expert at finding unmarked grave sites, was on the property. So I wonder what he was doing there. <laughs> Right. They obviously called him in for a reason. So sketchy. Like, I wonder what the leads were. Right. Something was given 
to them tip wise that made them want to dig there and Oh, yeah, instead of course. of digging yeah instead of digging up the whole property they're probably just like let's hire in this expert who might be able to tell us like pieces of the ground to search Mm-hmm. Police also returned the following day with an excavator and septic tank. No information was disclosed with whether anything related to Jennifer was found on the property. Why Yeah. a septic tank? I don't know. Unless they digged and fucked up the one that was there. <laughs> right, like, did they mess up the property and they just like, fuck, we have to buy another septic tank now. Yeah, that's odd. Yeah. January 28th, 2020, an emergency bond hearing was set for Dulos. He didn't appear in court. And he was found by police at his home in Farmington and was unresponsive. Brief trigger warning here. I'm going to talk about some details of suicide. So if that's going to trigger you or you want to skip ahead, please do so now. He poisoned himself with carbon monoxide in his garage. So that's what the scene that the police came up to. Mm -hmm. He was transported to Yukon Medical Center in Farmington and airlifted to Jacoby Medical Center in the Bronx. His children visited him for the first time since he was accused of murdering Jennifer. Wow. And January 30th, 2020, Dulos was taken off life support and was pronounced dead. He had left a suicide note, and part of this note included, quote, I refuse to spend even an hour more in jail for something I had capitalized nothing to do with, which is interesting. You had at least something to do with it. Right, because the covering up of evidence and disposing of evidence and the way it was done and the secretive nature of it that was caught on camera thankfully there is no valid excuse for that right and if he's claiming that yes i did not commit this murder you had something to do with her case disappearance in general yeah yeah unless somehow they were framed because one claim that i had read that traconis made to the police was that They were framed and that the bags were left, like the bags of the blood were left on their doorstep or something. So they disposed of them because they didn't want to be connected to it. And where's That's the video footage of that? right. That just seems too convenient and not, it doesn't seem as plausible as what looked like actually probably happened. Right. So May 2020, Traconis issued a statement and, quote, said it was a quote-unquote mistake to have trusted Fotis, but maintained that she did not know what happened to Jennifer or of her whereabouts. And that was a quote from Wiki. Yeah, I'd say it was a mistake. Although, from video footage, It she takes was two, equally yeah. involved in some way, shape, or form. Right, it definitely takes two. Yeah. May 2021, quote, a domestic violence bill, so-called Jennifer's Law, received near-unanimous support in the Connecticut State Senate. And that was a quote from Wiki. This law was named after Jennifer Farber-Dulos and Jennifer Magnano. June 28, 2021, the bill was signed into law by Governor Ned Lamont. And as of June 2022, there has not been any conclusion for the charges against Traconis or Mawinney. There has been some coverage of this story in the media. So Jennifer's case has been covered in TV and movies. Dateline NBC episodes Disappearance of Jennifer Dulos, which aired in September 2019, and The Day Jennifer Disappeared, which aired September 2022. The ID Channel documentary was called Vanished in New Canaan, an ID mystery, and that aired June 2020. And then there was a Lifetime movie called Gone Mom, the Jennifer Dulos story, and that aired in 2021. As of this recording, Jennifer is still missing. Oh, my heart breaks. Yeah, and... 
again with this episode, which happened in one of our more recent episodes as well, there wasn't really any information listed with who to contact exactly, but I'm assuming you can contact the Connecticut State Police or maybe if New Canaan has a police department, you can contact them as well. That information can easily be looked up and we'll make sure to include at least those two or at least the Connecticut Police Department in our resources and our show notes for anyone who potentially has information. It's just so sad because there was so much like evidence leading up to this and nothing was found of her. Yeah, and post-mortem, Dulos was cleared of all those charges because the case really can't go any further with him, so. Wow. Yeah. The whole thing is just really sad. I mean, any time we cover cases like this where there's really no true answer or, like, it's a cold case, it's just heartbreaking because you don't know and the family doesn't know and they had five children and now both of their parents they're basically orphaned yeah it's really really sad it's such a sad situation I feel so sorry for them me too and I feel so sorry for Jennifer regardless of who was involved because she's still missing and most likely her life was taken which is completely awful yeah according to what the police found do you have anything so, you wanted to add to the end of this or anything yeah you actually I do have something I want to add to it because it somewhat relates to we just covered or we just talked about Jennifer's law that was passed oh I know by the say. Connecticut State Senate and I wanted to talk a little bit about a different law that has been passed and needs to pass further. So regarding an episode we covered, episode five of our podcast, which was Bianca Devin's case, we had mentioned in that episode that her family was trying to get a law passed regarding information that's allowed to be put online and shown on social media accounts such as Instagram, Facebook, or posted on YouTube or TikTok, things like that. Yeah. Bianca's law was signed by New York Governor Hochul on December 30th, 2022. Yay. Yeah. So that law has officially been passed in New York. But according to Bianca's mom, because I just spoke to her today, they still need a federal law passed. And she said for our listeners, because I said, is there any call to action we can give our listeners? Is there anything we can do? Or is it basically in the government's hands? And Bianca's mom said they can contact their representatives in Congress and Senate. There needs to be changes to Section 230, which gives Internet companies immunity in regards to what their users post. You heard it, folks. Yeah. So please, if you're listening... Contact representatives in Congress and Senate and say you want changes to Section 230 and we are trying to get Bianca's law passed federally. Her mom has said, and this is absolutely awful, and I think we're going to have her on our podcast again to talk more in depth about what's been going on and what we can all do to help. She said that there's still videos going around and not only are they still up but her posts that she has posted requesting people to report it her posts have been taken down wow and if you're not familiar with what videos we're talking about it's literally the footage of her daughter dying fucking horrible it's it's just so beyond disgusting i It's unreal. So Bianca's law, for anyone who also needed a refresher on that, it makes it illegal to share graphic images of crime victims. And this was passed, like we said, in New York, but it still has a lot further to go because obviously people who aren't in New York can still do things like this. Wow. Yeah. And somehow it's allowed on 
social media, which is absolutely disgusting. That is horrifying. I feel so bad for her family. Mm-hmm. But at least there's one step forward and one check mark done with New York state law for them. That's at least something that they've been fighting for coming to fruition. But now it needs to go even further. We can only hope that our listeners try to help with that because I feel like her family and friends just need all the help they can get with that. And we need to make noise to make it happen. Yeah. Wow. So we'll put that stuff in our show notes uh, and Facebook posts as well. Yeah. And aside from that, I don't think think there's any. Leave it at that. Yeah. So let's get into our spiel. So you know where to find us on Facebook at Crime Cults and Coffee. That's where we post weekly resources, contact information, photos from each case, and then our Instagram is Crime Cults and Coffee as well. And that's where we post coffees that we have reviewed, pictures. And then the link tree in our bio shows all of the listening platforms. So you can share that with people so they know where to listen to us. Yeah. And if you want to give us a case suggestion like Kate's mom did (laughs) or a listener story, you can email us at crimecoltsandcoffee at gmail.com or send us a DM at crimecoltsandcoffee on Instagram. Also, if you like listening to us, if you like our podcast, the best way you can support us is to leave us ratings and reviews. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Anchor, or on any other listening platform of your choice. You can like, you can follow, you can subscribe, and that will let you know when new episodes come out each week. Yeah. And remember to do this call to action and be vigilant. Please. And I think that's it. All right, guys. We will see you next week. Bye. Bye. regarding this case and our resources follow us at crime cults and coffee on instagram and facebook